Welcome to another message from C3 Mumbai. Coming up. Imagine church if we were a place, a safe place where people could bring their shame and expose it. And we would cover them with God, with love. Imagine the freedom of this city if we could break the lies of shame, the lies of anger, the lies of power, that that's who you are. Because guilt, you know, here's the thing. Guilt will say what you did was wrong. Shame says who you are is wrong. Shame tells you who you are. Guilt will say what you did was wrong. But imagine if we were a church that when people walked in, we didn't make them people based on their shame, but we saw them based on the finished work of the cross. Imagine if someone walks in and we can say, hey, that's not you, man. And you know what shame does? Shame doesn't, when you lovingly come and expose shame, that person cannot stay there because you've just broken the enemy's snare. You cannot. You cannot. When you break shame, you've broken his plan to keep that person stuck. You've unstuck the guy. You've unstuck the girl who struggled with years and years and years of depression, years of self-harm, years of self-hate. When you come around someone and you say, this is what you struggle with, but it's not who you are. Who you are is at the finished work of Christ. For more information about C3 Mumbai, please visit our website c3mumbai.com or visit our Facebook page. So today we're going to talk on shame and, um, you know, I really believe God is going to do something big. Uh, you know, why are we talking about shame in church? Isn't church supposed to be this, you know, energetic, like supercharged, motivational talk, which leaves you setting free all the demons of your past. And here we're talking about shame. Let me tell you, by the end of this, it's going to be that. So you got to be ready, all right? Why, why shame? Why shame? Why should we talk about shame in a context of church? Why should we talk about shame in this society? Shame is the traumatic nature of us being exposed, naked, not only of who we are, but also sometimes of who we feel we've become. It's an exposure and it's traumatic, sometimes as the victims, sometimes as the perpetrators. It leaves us feeling exposed. Whether you've been a victim or whether you've caused the shame, you still feel ashamed. I don't know, has anyone here heard of Brene Brown? She's a um, motivational speaker and she's in her book, The Gifts of Imperfection, says this. The less you talk about shame, the more you got it. Shame needs three things to grow exponentially in our lives. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. By keeping quiet, it will creep into every corner and crevice of your life, so we must get rid of it. For too long, we've been sold this lie that if you ignore shame, it'll eventually go away. Shame does not go away with neglect. It only grows with neglect. 
And so as a church, if we're not dealing with these issues of, of our hearts, of society, then who else is going to bring this to you? And who else can do it with such a loving presence of God to know that no matter what happens, we've won. So come with me today as we talk on where does shame originate from, you know? A lot of you, if you're here for the first time, may not have may not know the story of Adam and Eve, but Adam and Eve had perfect communion with God, this seamless relationship, and God told them just one thing, hey, just, you know, that tree over there, just stay away, that tree of knowledge of good and evil, it's not good for you, you know, but guess what? They did, they took part of it, and the first thing that happened was they, for the first time, realized they were naked, and what did they do? They realized they were naked, so they quickly covered themselves. With the first thing they could see, they covered themselves with fig leaves. Because it wasn't just an outward physical nakedness. It was something that was deeper. They covered themselves because of shame from God. And today, before I open the scripture, I just want you to say to yourself, God, open my heart today. Just say that aloud. God, open my heart today for what I'm about to receive. Let's read from Psalm 51. If you could turn to that, or it's also on the screen. And um, we're going to read the whole psalm, and then I'm going to get into it. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach you your ways. You'll teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O oh God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You don't want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. Heavy-duty psalm. How many of you know the context of which this psalm was written? This psalm was written when David, we're going to go into detail 
you know, in closing up. But this psalm was written when David committed adultery. David committed adultery and then he deceived the husband. He deceived the prophet Nathan. And then he got Uriah, the one who he committed adultery with, husband killed by putting him on the battle line. Imagine, imagine, I mean, imagine the, the heart frame, the soul in despair writing the psalm. And I want you to paint that context as we, as we go deeper. Why, why am I reading the whole psalm? Because I want to show you how David walks through the shame of everything he has done. So the first way to heal from shame is to deal with the root. The first point I'm going to talk about is to uncover our covering. The first point I want to talk to you about is uncovering your covering. You know why? Because often we read this psalm and we think, oh man, David just had such a problem with lust. Like, you know, the first opportunity he got, he took it. And we often just look at that and say, oh yeah, we, we need to just, you know, not have a problem with lust. We've got to be faithful. We've got to keep doing this. We've got to do as the Bible commanded. But not actually understand what made David do what he did. And so often we can live lives trying to pretend and cover that it is okay, not knowing the root of our depravity of our heart. Have you ever said when you go to God in repentance, God, I know you've forgiven me. I know the person that, has, that I have wronged has forgiven me, but I can't seem to forgive myself. How many of us have said that? I know I have. Why is it that we feel that? Why is it that when, when the cross, what Dina shared from Romans 8, when we're so confident about what God has done, and yet in these moments of depravity, we can't seem to figure out why we can't forgive ourselves. And it's so exciting because God has given me this revelation to help us uncover that we don't have to feel like that anymore. God didn't die on the cross for nothing. He died so you could live life freely and abundantly. So what do we do then to walk through the shame where sometimes we can't forgive ourselves? The first thing we need to do is in uncover what lies beneath that sin. I just want to, from Psalm 51, verse um, 12, it says, David is saying, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. In this line, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you, is actually the root of David's sin. David's sin is not that he struggled with lust, although that might have been a surface sin. David's sin was the fact that he lost his joy. He became hopeless. He became comfortable. <laughs> he stopped obeying God. You know when you stop obeying God is when you don't want to get out of the boat when you're happy being comfortable where you're at. David's sin that drove him to sin was actually comfort. And he was saying, how can you say that? Like, where's the proof? Turn with me to 2 Samuel 11 verse 1. I don't think it's there because it's just one scripture that I want to bring out. It says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, 
David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. That's David's army. This is one of the biggest battles of his lifetime. And he is staying put. And he sends his army to war. What is David doing? He's sealing himself in the comfort of his home because he's gotten too hopeless. He's lost the joy of Jesus. He's lost the joy of his salvation. And he'd rather choose comfort over significance. And he sits there and every time God has a checkpoint for him. When, you know, if you read the story from 2 Samuel, you go on and read how he actually fell for her. Every time there was a checkpoint, he refused to move out of his comfort. He chose to keep sinking in and sinking in and sinking in until the root came out in the fruit of lust. The reason why I bring this to us is because I want to do a little psychology class here right now. I'm quite excited about this. Um, I will give attribute to Tim Keller to, who helped me with some of my notes, you know, Papa Tim. Um, the, you talked about this in other forms and I've kind of been reading and studying this whole idea of shame because it's, it's something that God has been dealing with in my own heart for about a year and a half to be precise. And um, I've got Rochelle to put up a few slides. I want to talk about how are we now going to deal with our own root of shame? You know, all of us might be here, you know, Rachel, like, this is just too deep. I'm not, I'm really not ashamed of anything. You know, I've given it to God. I've dealt with it. Peace, God and me are like peaceful. I'm, I'm okay. Like, this, this does not apply to me. And so I just want to say, you're wrong. Gently. But let's just... Let's just look at this. Um, from group A, can we turn the first slide to group A? Any of you uh, feel these things? Any of you, just start, I'm gonna start with group A, all right? Guilt, fearful, anxious, worried, hating yourself, pursuing perfection, group A. Group B, it's good to identify which group you belong to because there's something that will help you uncover what your real idols are. Group B talks about hard-hearted, pride, bitterness, anger, gossip, don't like to be wrong. And most of us are all four, which is fine, guilty as charged. Group C, boredom, laziness, disillusionment, cynicism, temptation, lust, envy. Group D, Worry, anxiety, stress, panic, low self-worth, don't think you have what it takes to get anything done, and fear. Now do you want to say that this message is not for me? So the reason I'm bringing this up is not to, to shame us, because the whole point of this is to expose our shame. But I want you to start feeling that hey, hang on, these problem emotions relate to me. Now I need to know how to get underneath these. I'm really excited because God cast out some devils in me when I was doing this, honestly. Like, <laughs> you know, group A and B. If you're guilty of group A and B, maybe just A and... Group A and B have a lot to do with approval and power. 
if you are in group A or B, the sin beneath the sin is actually approval or power. And you know what you fear most if you're on group A or group B? It's actually rejection and humiliation. So the sin beneath the sin is approval and power, but what you fear most is rejection and humiliation. You actually hand over, in A and B, you hand over the power of your self-worth to others. If you're in group C and D, it has a lot to do with control, comfort, security. And you know what you fear the most is uncertainty, hurt, and vulnerability. You fear that. And you give yourself the power to determine your self-worth. In A and B, you give others. C and D, you give yourself the power to say who you are, which most of the times is a complete wrong analysis. And what happens when you are acting out of any of these, if you are acting out of group A and B, people dealing with you, now that we've talked about your own heart issue, people dealing with you will often feel smothered if you have a sin of approval or used if you have a sin of power. In group C and D, people will often feel hurt and condemned. These, all these emotions, why is it important? Why are we actually going to the depths of, of our heart? It's because we want to expose what they look like on the surface. They don't, they don't often look like this. We don't go, oh, I actually, you know, I, I, my greatest fear is humiliation. You know, and that's an idol for me. It doesn't work like that, but it, it exposes areas in our hearts, which I'm going to talk about. They, refer, they, they result in surface idols, like we talked about David and his comfort resulting in lust. Approval and power have a lot to do with your image, work, materialism, Control and comfort and security have to do with materialism, achievement, family. Approval can also stem itself up in savior idolatry. I need, to, I need to save people because you get your self-worth from them. Remember the first two, you get your self-worth from people. Intellectual idolatry, it's to do with the control and the, the comfort. Oh my gosh, I'm so smart that I give myself that self-worth. Power is to do with, again, like you, you try to find it in people. It's not so much about winning with power, it's about not wanting to lose. Because you've driven your identity so deep in that. If you don't think you struggle with any of this, can you please ask some of your trusted friends? Because I know when you're married, it, it comes out naturally. You have lovely friends to tell you that. And if you have fortunate enough friends to speak the truth to you, then 
amazing. But you know why I say this? I mean, I, I've struggled. I've struggled big time with approval, you know? I, and I didn't even, like God started to uncover this when I got into church planting. Imagine, God calls me to plant a church and then completely wrecks me. Like, you know, why did I struggle with approval? Years back, a long time ago, when I was a little girl, there was things that happened to me that caused me a lot of shame and pain and rejection. And so from a very little girl, as a seven-year-old, I learned to cover things really well. Also, being a pastor's kid, you have all these unsaid expectations as from the church, from people that are watching you, waiting for you to trip up, you know, and, and they don't even mean to, but they put these expectations. And for me, I just found this perfect solace in trying to make everything look perfect because I started to derive my, my whole sense of identity from what people thought. Why? Because it was, it was crushed by people. And so I wanted to make it okay. I started to paint these pictures of perfectionism where I just, you know, the thing with perfectionism is the more you pursue, the more you realize how imperfect you are. And the more you realize how imperfect you are, the more worried you get until you're in this spiral of not going anywhere. And God is so gentle in this, guys. I just want to say, like, he... There's hope. Why is there hope? Why does God do this? Why does he want us to do this? It's because he doesn't want us to stay the same. He wants us to live our best life. So if you embrace what God is doing today, there is freedom on the other side of shame. We're not going to hide shame anymore as a community. We're going to be we're going to be open about it. We're going to find safe places that actually help us through it, that walk through shame with us. We're not going to hide anymore because in the darkness is where it grows. I want to read this scripture, which has been like my saving grace in this past year. Colossians 3, verses 1 to 3. It says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Your real life is not hidden in your approval. It's not hidden in your comfort. It's not hidden in your control. It's not hidden in your power. It is hidden in Christ. We need to understand the realities of these so we can shift and make the exchange of hiding behind the sin to hand it over to Christ so we can feel like we are forgiven. The second one I want to talk about is what David did. If you go to Psalm 51, verses 2 to 4, verses 2 to 6. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone I have sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb. 
teaching me wisdom even there. The second point I want to talk about is confession. The beauty of being broken and repentant. Once you identify your hidden sin, once you uncover your covering of how well you do life, that no one really gets to know the real you, then it's time to take that hidden sin and bring it to the cross in brokenness, in contriteness, in repentance. And why? Why do we do this? Why? Why? You know, I go to some churches and they're like, oh my gosh, you don't need to repent. You know, you've done it once at the cross. Jesus has forgiven you. You don't need to repent anymore. The, the cross is not there for you not to repent. The cross is there so you have the confidence that every time you do repent, you are seated with God and your battle has already been won. The cross is there as a reminder of who we are and not who we are not. So we need to learn to take our crap, excuse me, and put it at the foot of Jesus. Why? Why do we do that? Because there was a condemned man, our savior. He was stripped of everything. His arms spread and they were nailed so that he could not even make the most simple motion to cover himself. He didn't die fast. He died slow. He didn't die privately. He died publicly. He was totally exposed and people looked at him and mocked him. Why did Jesus do it? He was stripped so that you could be clothed. God counted Jesus as a sinner so that he didn't have to count you as a sinner. On the cross, Jesus gave a status he didn't deserve so he could give you a status you don't deserve. You need to find your hiding place in him. And the only way we can constantly find our hiding places in, in him is with a broken and contrite heart. You see that scripture I just read out from David? He wasn't trying to justify his sin. He wasn't trying to hide behind defense. He was bare. He stripped himself and said, God, I was wrong. I messed up. Your just judgment is right. I was born a sinner. But you desire honesty, so I'm going to be honest. Crucifixion that we're going to talk about next week it wasn't just a painful death, it was a shameful death. So that we don't have to carry shame anymore. You don't have to carry this cross of shame anymore. You need to take it to Christ and it, it's not a one-time thing, it's almost a daily thing. The shame of being exposed, the shame of messing up as a parent when you lose it with your kids or you lose it with your parents or you lose it with your spouse. Suddenly we feel exposed and we try to cover up with defenses and, and our past and anger and, and power and control. Jesus is like, you don't need to just make that exchange. The third point is closeness. The first point was uncover your covering. The second point was Confession, brokenness, and repentance. The third point is closeness, staying in him. Genesis 2 verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. How many of us have read this scripture over and over and again and got no revelation from it? Well, let me just tell you, God did something so crazy. Look at this. It said... 
the Lord God formed man from the dust of his ground. Okay, so he formed the body from the dust from with his hands. Right? Are you with me? He, you know, he imagined Jesus like, you know, master sculptor, sculptor, sculpting this man, fashioning him with his hands out of dust. But God could have just, when he created him, he could have just made him come alive straight away, but he didn't do that. He created his outer body with his hands, but then he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils. He didn't wait to form with his hands. You know, the, the God is such an intimate God that he could have made you come alive with his hands and the dust of the ground, but you came alive with the Spirit of God holding you close, breathing life into your nostrils. He didn't just hold you far apart and create you like that. He made your body, but then for your soul, your spirit to come alive, he got you in close and he breathed breath into your life. And through the spirit, you come alive. It's not through your body. It's through the spirit of God, the ruach, the breath of God that you come alive. So why do we need to stay close to God? Because only in him you will find a satisfaction for your soul. You move away from him. You know, we want the short change. We want intimacy without closeness. We want intimacy without dependence. We want intimacy without the cost, without sacrifice, without love. But God's like, you can't because I formed you in my image from intimacy and closeness. You need to, if you want to come alive, you need to stay close. And some of us, that is a word this morning. If you're wondering why you're falling apart every single time, maybe you need to get close to Christ. Maybe you need to open that Bible even when you don't understand. Maybe you need to turn the pages until you come to something that you do understand and sit there in his presence because his spirit and the word bring life to your dead bones. Some of us need to spend hours in prayer till God gives you a revelation. Don't leave. David says, better is one day in your courts than thousand elsewhere. Because he understood the depths of knowing how much we can change just from one encounter with Christ. Sometimes we read too many books, we listen to too many podcasts, we do too many devotionals to substitute reading the actual word of God. And that's great. I listen to all of that. I do all of that. I have a devotional myself. But if it's substituting you hearing from God directly, there's a problem. There's a problem. Because it's so easy to get secondhand information. It's so easy to live on somebody else's revelation. But you need your own revelation. God, you know, if... if there's stuff that I tell Ryan that I will tell no one in this world. Why? Because he's the closest to me. If you want to hear the secrets of heaven that God wants to show you for your life, don't come just to church and expect your life to change. Listen to God from a close. Come close in the secret room and listen to what he has to say. Because he wants to do something. I want to talk about 
David, how he handled that. You know, in um, Psalm 51 and verses um, 12 and 13, if we have that. I know I'm running out of time, but I just want to drive this home. It says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Now look at this man. Here's a man. In Psalm 51, he's raw. The sin has just happened. He's so devastated. He's convicted. He's just writing from raw emotion. Psalm 32, if you want to go home and read it, is actually his testimony of what God has done because of his contrite heart. But here in this psalm, he's saying, God, I know that I have failed. My hidden sin is exposed to you. But make me willing. He probably knew that he, he couldn't obey at that moment. So he's saying, God, make me willing to obey. But he doesn't end there. He says, because when you do that, I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. You know what he was saying basically? My testimony of what you have done is going to be somebody else's promise. My vulnerability and my shame that I have put through because I have submitted and consecrated to Christ is now going to be somebody else's victory. Your vulnerability can be somebody else's victory. And God is about to shatter this whole image of shame that we carry that does not need to be carried. We need to return to the joy of our first love. You know, when I was touching on some of those idols before, idols of the heart, you know, the, the surface idols and then the source idols, you know, sometimes we don't even realize. We think we're okay, you know, until we just... Have you ever felt disconnected? Have you ever felt, God, like I'm, I've, I've started to walk with you and it just feels like everything's broken loose and I can't, I'm, I seem to just move in the same circles? It's crazy because God actually wants to deal with that. Sometimes how good are we at hiding our image and dressing up our shame and working so hard that people don't see our shame? And having all the money in the world so people don't know how broken we are. And having all the achievements and the highest degrees so people don't actually know how scared we are. And putting religion as a front. Oh, look at me. I go to church. Oh, look at me. I've done all the things. But God, I'm empty inside. We show our family off. Oh, look, we have the perfect family. And inside we're just like lonely. Oh, this thing of, oh, I just want to save everyone, you know, like... Inside, we need saving ourselves. This perfection, this constant, I need to do this, I need to do this well, and this constant failure of missing that mark. This, oh God, if I can be organized and if I can better have control of my life, then things will be okay. The problem with control is, the more you try to control it, the more you lose control. Because the, your life is not in your hands. That's a word for someone. Maybe release control. Maybe get a little spontaneous. Maybe stop trying to be so perfect. 
You can only do that if you exchange that with Jesus. Don't try it. Like, don't try this at home. Don't try this alone. Don't try it with your strength. You're not going to go anywhere. I just want to, in closing, I want to talk about what happens when we do get to the other side of shame. You know, a message like this can leave us feeling exposed and realize, oh my gosh, I actually carry so many issues under those issues. And, but I just want to say that the good news is that you're covered in Christ. The hope of glory is Christ. The hope is not in your future. Imagine for a minute. Imagine this picture in Luke 7. Some of you have read that story. Some of you know where this, there was a story of Jesus in this Pharisee's house, Simon. And this woman comes in with an alabaster jar. Some commentaries say she was the common prostitute. Some commentaries say she was the most sinful woman in that time. She came in. She had the audacity to walk in where Christ was and break the most expensive thing in her life on Jesus' feet. And she washed, she washed his feet with that perfume and wiped it with her hair. You know what the hair speaks of? Hair speaks of covering. She wiped off her shame with Jesus. Oh, to long to be with Jesus. And there Simon said, how could you? He starts to, the man who ran after perfection, the man who had everything sorted, the man that on, on, a, on a slate from the outside was perfect. He's looking and saying, God, how could you entertain this? And Jesus says this, he that is forgiven of much loves much. He that is forgiven of little loves little. How many of us are like the Simons in the room where we think, oh my gosh, we're looking at that person's sin at the side of us and saying, oh, we're better off than them because we, we're not that bad. We used to be there. But now we're past it. You know, and we try to tell that girl, get your act together now. Enough. Come on. Wrap it up. Imagine a church when people walked in. They would not feel Simons, but they would feel that prostitute who was redeemed and reinstated by Jesus. What is more attractive, a Simon or a prostitute who was redeemed? Imagine, church, if we were a place, a safe place where people could bring their shame and expose it, and we would cover them with God, with love. Imagine the freedom of this city if we could break the lies of shame the lies of anger, the lies of power, that that's who you are. Because guilt, you know, here's the thing. Guilt will say what you did was wrong. Shame says who you are is wrong. Shame tells you who you are. Guilt will say what you did was wrong. But imagine if we were a church 
that when people walked in, we didn't make them people based on their shame, but we saw them based on the finished work of the cross. Imagine if someone walks in and we can say, hey, that's not you, man. And you know what shame does? Shame doesn't, when you lovingly come and expose shame, that person cannot stay there because you've just broken the enemy's snare. You cannot. You cannot. When you break shame, you've broken his plan to keep that person stuck. You've unstuck the guy. You've unstuck the girl who struggled with years and years and years of depression, years of self-harm, years of self-hate. When you come around someone and you say, this is what you struggle with, but it's not who you are. Who you are is at the finished work across. And so I want us, as we go home today, and if you, if you need someone to talk to, I'm here, Ryan's here, you have a best friend that you can, and here's the thing, guys, we do have to be discerning because there are people that are still on the journey with us. You want to make sure that, you know, people don't use that shame to uncover you even more, but actually cover you in love. That there's power in confession. There's enough of people here in this church that you can trust. I can say that because I've trusted. You can be that person that is a safe place. Imagine a church, besides being a safe place, if we can take constructive criticism can you imagine if we can, in love, tell each other where we're wrong or where we could change or where we could improve? Can you imagine? There's no holding us back. If you can hear what someone is saying and then hide yourself in Christ so that attack is not personal, but it's actually room to grow, can you imagine what we would be? Can you imagine how unafraid and how unashamed we could be like I love how Ryan this morning, you know, sometimes in a, in a church you want everything perfect, like by the minute. But Ryan's like, hang on, we got to, you know, change the battery around here. And everyone's like, awkward, oh, that's awkward. But that's real life, right? Sometimes we need to stop and change a battery. Yeah, you can clap. Imagine if we were the, the woman that broke the best thing in her life, the thing of most value that we hold to her, to that woman. The jar was something she valued the most. What if today what you value the most is the relationship or is control? or his approval from people, or his power to win, not to lose. What if you can take the thing you most value and break it at the foot of Christ? Then you can be, as parents, a safe place for your children when they mess up. And they will. I remember my dad, my mom's sitting there. Love you, mom. Um, there are times when my dad messed up, my mom messed up, and I remember my dad would write us letters. He would 
come by our bedside, praying quietly in the mornings, you would hear whispers. When they messed up, they came and said sorry. They came and asked for our forgiveness. They came and told us how that they will fail us, but the grace of God will never fail us. Can we be those people that are okay to mess up because we will, but okay to say sorry even to our own kids? Some of us parents, we need to go home and say sorry for the mess ups because God, he draws close to humility and he will work even in your weakness. Husbands and wives, do you need to say sorry about things that you have projected onto them because of your own hidden sin? Make your home a place, make your marriage a place where it is safe for people to break shame. Is this church a safe place for people to break shame? And you know, the thing is when we break shame, people can't stay there. People can't stay there because there's light cast into shame and where light is, there is no darkness. Shame doesn't give you an excuse to stay there. Hear me out, guys. I'm not saying we, you know, wallow in self-pity because that's exactly what the enemy wants. Breaking shame actually gets our deliverance. And I'll close in this last scripture from Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. I don't know if I gave it to Rochelle, but it says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. The high priest of ours understands our weakness. Can I get an amen? For he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Boldly means without shame. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Some of us, before you accept his grace, you actually need to receive his mercy. When you receive his mercy, you will find grace. C3 Mumbai is a church in the heart of India's commercial capital, where a diverse group of people brought together to worship God and to pass on the hope of salvation by grace that we freely received. For more information about C3 Mumbai, please visit our website c3mumbai.com or visit our Facebook page. Follow us on Instagram or tweet us on our handle at C3Mumbai. Hey, it's Ryan here. If you enjoyed this message and you live in Mumbai, we would love to meet you in person. Why don't you come along 11.30 a.m. Studio 10 at Famous Studios in Mahalakshmi.